Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, we're going to talk about Sabbath's purpose today. And I don't know about you, I, I grew up in a Baptist home, so it was on Sunday, you could not mow the yard, you could not wash the car, you could not go to movies. Basically, you couldn't do anything that was fun. And, um, and I, you know, as growing up, I thought, I don't know, this just doesn't quite feel right. Is, it, is this really what Sunday's all about? And is this what Sabbath is all about? So uh, I, I didn't want to be rebellious but sometimes I was, and I would kind of break the rules that my parents set, because um, I began to I began to think about it, and I realized it was more important that you didn't do those things, but more important that nobody saw you do those things. That's what really mattered. So I want to just break this apart. Let's see what the scripture really says, and and we're going to have to start in Exodus. This is the fourth commandment of the top 10, the big 10. So we have to obviously pay attention to it. And in Exodus chapter 20, you know, it's in the Bible in a couple places, but let's look at the uh, Exodus chapter. Um, It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day and you do it by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. So when I look at that, the first thing I do, I step back and I say, this commandment reminds me that God is sovereign even over our time. I mean, he's sovereign about everything. He's sovereign over everything. But in your life, he's even sovereign over your time. And one thing I'm learning is you can recapture money that you lose or misspend, spend, or you can recapture things that you lost or was taken from you and you can buy it again, or you can recapture a lot of stuff, but time is something you can never recapture. Once it's spent, it's gone. In fact, when you were born, it was already a clock started. And God knows when that clock reaches its deadline. So you were born with a set amount of time, period. And um, we're told that God is sovereign over that time. And we don't know what time we have. We don't know how much time we have. But man, we need to take it very serious because once I spend time, it's spent. And uh, so we're told... We're going to read later to redeem the time. Now, it's, I'm, I, when I read this commandment, this fourth commandment, I actually, it strikes me that it actually has two parts to it. See, we always just think in terms of keeping the Sabbath holy, but don't forget that first part. You have six days each week for ordinary work. So God is telling us he expects us to work six days, six days for work 
and the seventh day you don't. And uh, so he is telling us by divine providence that he's placed on us, we're, we're to perform our jobs with care and be conscientious about that. And, uh, and not only did God tell us to do it this way, that's the way God did it. I mean, he spent six days working and in those six days, all he accomplished was creating the universe. I mean, let's face it, he, he did a lot. He created the universe. He created you and me by starting the human race. And then he took a day of rest. Now, don't get confused. He didn't need the day off. He's, he's holy God. But he was setting an example for us. Obviously, he didn't need it, but he made us, he wired us, and he knew that we were going to need it. He knew that we would need to sleep at night. He knew that we would have to eat properly. And he knew that we would need a day, a break, a change of pace. So six days of work, seventh day you don't. <laughs> and... Um, now, let me tell you, uh, taking a day of rest does not, need, does not mean being lazy or being idle. Sometimes it's a change of pace. It's doing something totally different. So let's, I want to I look at 2 Thessalonians because I, I want to kind of go to the New Testament now and start piecing together what does it mean to do this day of rest? What, what is Christ's expectation of that. And so what does that mean? In Thessalonians, and now dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the apostles spoke for God. I mean, God used them to write the New Testament. So they had the right to say, this is from Jesus. The Holy Spirit was telling them these things. You don't have that right. I don't have that right. We're, there's no new scripture being written. And so the apostles had this special disposition from the Holy Spirit, this special job. And so they had every right to say this kind of stuff. I command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, stay away from all believers. So it's not talking about the non-believers. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. Idle lives. They just did nothing. Idle means you're sitting in neutral. For you know that you ought to imitate us. Again, that sounds pretty arrogant, but they had the authority and right to say that. They represented God's truth. We are not idle when we were with you. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden on any of you. Now, notice this statement. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Now, there's a lot of truth right there in that one statement. You know, you, you can spend a lot of time demanding your rights, but being a Christ follower 
means you set aside your rights for the benefits of others. After all, that's what Jesus did for you and me. Jesus, he, was, he had his rights as holy God and he didn't deserve to be beaten up and scourged with a whip and spat upon. He did not deserve to be hung on a cross to die or have a spear thrust in him. He did not deserve that. He had the right to demand that we worship him. He had the right to demand that we bow down and worship him. He had that right, but he set aside his rights for the benefit of us. And if we're gonna be Christ-like, we have to have that same attitude. Setting aside our rights for the benefit of others. He said, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow, which was more important. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Hmm. That'd be a good diet to be on. I mean, here's what was happening. They would bring their stuff together. They shared with each other. They had meals together. And maybe they instituted the first potluck dinner. I don't know. And, uh, and there was these people that didn't bring their own pots with their own food. They, they didn't bring, contribute, do anything. They were just lazy, idle people. But they expected the church to feed them. Now, there were some people that needed to be looked after. And the scripture dealt with that. There were some widows that could not take care of themselves. And so the church took care of them and they should have. But he's referring to people that could work. And he's like, hey, I'm giving you a commandment. Those who are unwilling to work, they don't get to come to the, the church social and eat when everybody else worked hard to bring stuff. These people are just lazy. They sit around and do nothing, but they want the church to take care of them. He says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives. My life's in neutral. I'm sitting on my camel, but the camel's not going anywhere. Refusing to work. And, and, and here's the thing. When you've got a lot of idle time on your hands, when you're just sitting around, you start thinking about other people and what they ought to do. And, and so this is a natural conclusion. And meddling in other people's business. Isn't that interesting that sometimes the laziest people are the most critical people? They're always telling everybody else what they ought to do. They're telling everybody else what they should do instead of doing it themselves. That's a biblical truth. They're not working, they're idle, and so they sit around and they are going to tell everybody else what they ought to do. Verse 12, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
to settle down and earn their own living. Get to work. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. So that, to me, implies that you're looking for ways to do good. You're looking for ways to bless other people. I, I mean, somebody has surgery, and they don't have, you know, they're too focused on the surgery, focused on recovering. Yeah, we take meals to them. We're looking for ways to do good for them. We're providing for them because they need it in that moment. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Hmm. That's part of God's judgment. I mean, part of God's judgment on them, or I should say discipline, part of God's discipline in them, because these are believers, is, hey, you don't get to come to the church social. You do nothing to contribute. And it's to kind of help get their attention, say, look, you got to get your act together. Now, he clarifies something in verse 15. He said, now, don't think of them as enemies, because they're not. They're your brothers and sisters. But warn them as you would a brother and sister. Help them with what they really need. So here's what I want to look at. Let, let's take what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. Go back to that fourth commandment that says you work six days and then you worship one day. My suggestion to you is when you never work, when you're just absolutely lazy and do nothing, it's almost to suggest you're unfit for worship. It's like work paves the way for worship. And worship fits us for work. Does that make sense? You see what happens? So I work, that paves the way for me to worship. And then while worshiping, that gets me excited about the next week and what God might do through my life for the benefit of someone else, for the opportunity to do good for others. So the more diligent and faithful you are at performing your responsibilities those six days, the more value you will place on that day of rest. Again, the day of rest is not a day of laziness. Sometimes it's just a diversion to something else. Sometimes it's when you do a hobby. Sometimes you do something that relaxes you. And I want to tell you, I, man is always good at this, taking what Scripture says and try to turn it around. And we're, we're actually in our country teaching a generation of, you don't have to work. You don't have to earn your own way. We'll take care of you. We'll pay for your school. We'll, we'll give you... We'll give you what you need. Let me tell you how that's already translating. 
If you know, a, if you know somebody who's a business owner or a manager of a business, you're probably hearing this all the time. I can't find anybody to work. Nobody wants to work. And there are plenty of people that are unemployed. Uh, the staff, every Monday after we have our meeting, we go eat lunch together. And um, <clears throat> whoever's on call that week gets to choose where we go to lunch. Unless I grunt and moan when they suggest where we're going, then they know that's the clue. I don't want to go there. And they've learned that and they stop paying attention to me. I'm not, I'm not respected. So anyway, we went to Moe's and um, we, we were going through, <laughs> we're going through the line and the manager, she was uh, the very first person serving and I saw her tag and it had her name and her manager and she just looked worn out, just absolutely worn out. And I, and I just said to her, I said, you look, you look, you really look tired. Are you doing okay? She said, I'm frustrated. I said, I bet it's because you can't find workers. She said, absolutely. And she says, I'll hire them, and then they won't even show up. They'll come work for a week, and then they don't come back. I'm hearing that all over the place. So, see, man has this nasty habit of taking what God has created and try to redefine it. And we're going to pay a price for that one. So God set an example for us. I mean, even before sin was a part of the equation, God gave Adam and Eve work to do. Their job was to take care of the garden. Oh, and they had a big job. Their, their job, Adam had the job of naming all the animals. Wow, can you imagine that? And... Um, I'm not sure this was true, but I can imagine this. Um, I think I know what might have been the first curse word ever said in the Garden of Eden before sin became into the picture. And that's when Eve went to Adam and said, Adam, you got this one weird looking animal left. You got to come up with a name. It's the last one. And I could just imagine Adam sitting there saying, oh, aardvark. I think that was the first curse word. I, I mean, you know, that was a big job and he did all, but see, here's the point. Work was a part of the equation before sin was in the picture. God made us for that. Now let's look at what Jesus had to say. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people meeting the requirements of the Sabbath. That was a huge statement. And so basically, and he, 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 he didn't pull any punches here. He said, so the son of man, which is me, is Lord, basically saying, this is one of the statements where Jesus is declaring himself as God. Don't, don't miss that. So he was saying the son of man, which was one of Jesus's favorite titles for himself because it related him to man that, you know, he was born of a human mother. And so he was the son of man of the human race. 
Though the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Hmm. So Jesus made it clear I'm God. I get to say the way things are going to be. And he's saying, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. And you religious guys, you Pharisees, you, you have made what was supposed to be a beautiful day of rest and diversion and worship of holy God, you've made it into a burden. And you've prided yourself of coming up with these over 600 rules of how to keep the Sabbath. So these Pharisees, you know, God says, honor the Sabbath. They said, okay, here's all the ways you do that. And then over time, that started creeping up to where it was equated to Scripture. And then the day came where it was more important than Scripture was man-made rules. And it became a point of pride for these Pharisees. And Jesus said, no, he got it all wrong. I'm Lord of the Sabbath, not you. And Sabbath was made for man, for men and women. Man was not made for the Sabbath. So like I said before, rest does not equate to laziness. But here's the deal. God wired you. He knows how you're wired. And he knows that you need a day of rest. You need a day of diversion. You cannot go at it seven days a week and not pay a price for it. I, um, I spend a lot of time talking with pastors and they'll call and they're hurting. They want to talk. I had lunch with one recently and he's just like, he's ready to give up. I mean, this pandemic has been so difficult on all of us, but it's really been hard on a lot of pastors because nobody wrote a book on how to handle a pandemic as a pastor of a church. And, and so I was talking to him and, and usually at some point when I hear about how tired they are and how discouraged they are, I usually ask this question. I said, so how are you doing with your Sabbath? Because you know, Sunday's not your Sabbath, right? Because you're working. And they usually just kind of hang their head and they said, I'm, I'm not doing very well. I said, well, you're breaking a commandment from God himself that's for your benefit. And, and, I, and here's what I'll, I'll say to them. I'll say, I'm going to teach you a word that's always been taught as a negative word. And, but in this case, it's not. And I'm going to call, I'm going to tell you the word is selfish. You need to be selfish on your Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying that you make it all about you or that you don't care about anybody. I'm not saying that at all. But Jesus, in the midst of ministry, surrounded by thousands of people who needed to be healed and, and his disciples were there, there were times in scripture where, where it tells us he just turned and walked away and went to be by himself. Sounds kind of selfish. 
but I think it was a very holy selfishness because he went to be alone with the Father. And, and so you and I need to have that sanctified selfishness where, where we pull away, take a break, divert so that we can enjoy the Sabbath that was made for us. In Colossians 2, it says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come and Christ himself is that reality. So basically, when I read something like that, it, Paul is warning them that their freedom is in Christ, not, not from a set of useless, man-made, legalistic rules. Legalism is powerless to save you. So never give in to legalism. A bunch of do's and don'ts. I mean, as your pastor, my heart's desire for you is to be set free from any form of legalism. As your pastor, my heart's desire for you is to be set free from man's expectations. As your pastor, my heart's desire for you is to find real freedom in Christ. As your pastor, my heart's desire for you is to understand the way God takes care of you. And one of those ways that he takes care of you is to give you a day of rest and restoration. And you need it every week. Work hard. But relax well. Ephesians chapter 5, one last chapter here, verses 15 through 20. So be careful how you live. Be careful. Don't live like fools. I know a lot of people that got that down pat. You probably know them too. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Have some sense about you. Make the most, here, here it is. This is talking about redeeming the time. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Anybody want to argue with me about whether we're living in any evil days or not? We're in evil days. So this verse very much applies. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What God wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, he's not saying you cannot drink wine. He said, but when you drink it to the point that it controls you, that's a problem. Instead, be drunk on the Holy Spirit. You drink of the Holy Spirit to the point he controls you. Now that's where you want to be. That's when you're really free. 
So don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. That's last phrase for those of us who cannot sing. We can sing in our hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what did he mean by this phrase, make the most of every opportunity, redeem the time? Well, let me give you four quick things about what I think that means. I think redeeming the time means that you focus on Christ and his supremacy, that he's supreme in your life. You redeem the time by trusting in the abilities that the Holy Spirit has placed in you, your spiritual gifts. <clears throat> I remember in college, I read Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking. He was a pastor in New York City and was very popular. I mean, the book sold millions of copies. And, uh, and here, here, here's the point he did in that book. And at first, I didn't catch it, but he started with the point about your own abilities. And he urged you to trust in yourself and release your inner powers. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You start with Jesus and you trust in what he has placed in you through his Holy Spirit. And you replace your ambitions with God's desires for you. So redeeming the time requires a new birth in Christ and an empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Number three, redeem the time by having victory over sin. Understand the danger of sin and resist it, but the way you have victory over it is through Jesus alone. That's how you have victory. One last one. Redeem the time by fixating on God's goals and purpose for your life. Not yours, and certainly not the world's. You know, living wisely in the light of the supremacy of Jesus reminds me the need to align my priorities with God's word, Holy Scripture. Living your agenda, simply put, is a wasted life, period. Living your agenda is a wasted life. Now, don't beat yourself up over, over the days past. Can't do anything about that. But you can start redeeming the time today. Don't leave here with guilt heaped all over you. But leave here with encouragement that you can start again. Don't leave here feeling guilty. Leave here feeling encouraged. 
thanking Jesus that he's given you another opportunity to redeem the time. Let's pray.